we have entered into our new, well, it's not a new series, it's a new sub-series. It's really a new section in our series called Words from the Mountain. And the section, what we're calling it, is Authentic Faith. Now, I think that you guys are really going to resonate with this because of the stories I've heard from talking with you. A lot of you guys have kind of, in the past, written off the church, or you have just kind of seen the church as irrelevant because of experiences that you have had where the church has expressed an inauthentic faith to you. So, so, so maybe something happened like there was problems in leadership. Maybe the way that they were using money, abusing money. Maybe there was an abuse of power. Maybe there was a moral failure. And all those things caused you to say, I got to get rid of it. I'm, I'm done with the church. Or maybe it was just some, someone personally that was in the church uh, that was rude to you unwelcoming to you, um, or maybe, maybe they just really peeved you off, I don't know, um, but something happened, and I keep hearing these stories, so I think it's going to resonate with you. Now, l- let me say this. Here's the big picture. The big picture of the Sermon on the Mount, the section before was all about right living. This section is all about right motives. And what is fascinating is that it seems that Jesus is actually more concerned with your right motives than your right living. Now, let me just give you, here's a, here's a line from the book Catcher in the Rye. And it's a, it's a perfect line that captures the pattern of the human heart in what Jesus is talking about here. It says, if you do something good, then after a while, if you don't watch it, you start showing off. And then you're not as good anymore. So here's where we're going. Throughout this this section, Jesus is going to be challenging the authenticity of your faith. And he's going to do it in three ways. In your generosity, in your prayer, and in your fasting. And today we're looking at an authentic generosity. Now, Finn just read all of our verses. I want to reread verse 1. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, this verse that I just read sets up the rest of this section. Everything else is pointing back to this verse, so we're going to be kind of pointing back to this verse all the way through. And here's what Jesus is trying to get you to learn to do. I mean, this is everything. If you're a Christian, you have learned to do this. He's teaching you to repent for your good works done for the wrong reasons. Now, this word repent or repentance, this simply means turning away from what you're doing back to Jesus and living the way that he would have you live. So he's teaching you to repent for your good things that you keep doing, but you're doing them for the wrong reasons. Your motives are all messed up. So a good done for the wrong reason is no good at all. And it's fascinating that in the Christian faith, it really does seem that Jesus is more concerned with you having right motives than right living. In fact, it seems that it's more toxic for you to do something good, but to do it for the wrong reasons than for you to do something bad. And here's why I think that is. Because when you're doing something good for the wrong reasons, you have no idea you're doing it in the wrong way. 
And so it keeps festering and it keeps doing, the, your, your heart keeps, you know, you keep doing something over and over and over again and it keeps toxifying your heart and your heart keeps getting messed up more and more every time you do it, but you think you're doing right, but actually there's something else going on in your heart. There's a secret evil and Christ wants to expose it. And there's a lot of people who do a lot of good, but do it for the wrong reason and Jesus is having none of it. And so the question that you have to ask yourself in everything that you're doing that is good, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? What's my motive behind it? And that is what Jesus is getting at. He's trying to get you to see the why. Now, there's a short story that I absolutely love to tell. Charles Spurgeon, who's known as the Prince of Preachers, tells this story. It's real short. I'm going to read it to you. It says, Once upon a time there was a king who ruled over everything in a land, And one day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot, and he took it to the king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And the king was touched, discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land, freely as a gift, so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted, went home rejoicing, but there was a nobleman in the king's court who who overheard all this, and he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. The gardener gave me the carrot, you gave yourself the horse. So why you do what you do is incredibly important. And it becomes a bit more problematic for us because we're, we, our motives are even hidden to ourselves. But then there becomes an even more problematic, more pro, bigger problem in that we don't know why we should be doing things. The question is, what should our motive actually be behind the things that we are doing that is good? When we're being generous, why should we be being generous? What's the motive? And... And here's my point. You could be doing good things throughout your whole life. You could be being generous throughout your whole life to everyone around you, but be doing it for the wrong reasons. And what our verses say is that if that's the case, you have spent your whole life and you're never going to get the reward for what you're doing it for because your motive is wrong. So you spend your whole life not even realizing that you are doing things that appear to the world to be great, but your motives are wrong, and so you're losing your reward from God. And then the question becomes, what is this reward? We're going to get to the reward at the end, not yet. So what I want to do is I want to show you, here, here are some motives that we tend to, tend to have in the things that we are doing that we think are good or when we're being generous. Here's the motives. And we disguise it in Christianity, but it, it, what, we're, what, what we have to realize is that it's not actually Christianity. So let me give you some examples. Karma. So people tend to approach Christianity very similar to karma. And say, if I do good, 
then God is going to do good for me and he's going to give me good circumstances in my life. And if I do bad, then bad's gonna, God's going to give me bad circumstances in my life. And so everything revolves around if I'm good, God rewards me with good circumstances. If I'm bad, God gives me bad circumstances. Now, in the Old Testament, there are some places where God says, listen, if you live the way I'm telling you to live, good things are going to happen in your life. And it seems that God is rewarding them with circumstances that have changed. Now, here is the key thing here. In the Old Testament, the way God poured his blessings down on people was primarily physical. But there's a shift because there was always a promise of something greater. And we come into the New Testament and we see that God's blessings are now spiritual. There's something greater. There's something better than just the physical. And that is what God is getting at here. But the point is that Christianity and karma are not the same thing. They are very, very different. And if you don't understand the difference, then you're not listening to Christianity. Okay, so that's the first one. Here's the second one. There's a philosopher named Immanuel Kant, and here's what he says. Do good for the sake of good. It's your duty to do good. And he says if you're doing something good because you want a reward for it, he says it's not good anymore. Now, is that right? Well, Christianity seems to be saying here that you should be seeking a reward. That there are rewards that come from God that are good, and God seems to want to motivate us by some type of reward, which we're going to get to. And then there's a variation of Kant, the philosopher Santa Claus. Santa Claus will say, be good for goodness sake. You've heard this line, you've sung it before. But this isn't Christianity either. Buddha. You know what Buddha wants you to do? Buddha wants you to eliminate every bit of desire that you have at all. Because he says desires are bad. And if you get rid of them, only then can you do good. But this isn't what Christianity is saying at all. Christianity is saying, no, God has made you in such a way to have desires. Those desires are good things. Your problem is that you're not turning your desires up. You've got to turn your desires all the way up to 10. And if you'll turn them all the way up to 10, you're going to run right past the fleeting pleasures of this world, right into the arms of God. Did you hear what I just said? You have been going through your life thinking that desires are bad. You've been going through your life thinking that God does not want you to have these desires. And what Christianity is saying is, no, desires are good. You've got to turn your desires up. You'll run right past all the things of this world that you think are so wonderful, and you'll run right into the arms of God, who is the only one who's going to give you the pleasure that you long for. So, what does Christianity say about your motives? and intentions about why you do what you do. Why you should you be generous? Three things. For God's sake, for his kingdom, and for your joy. And if those three things aren't there, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. If you... So, your motivation for being generous... It's God's glory. In fact, what's happened to you is that because you're a Christian, you have seen how wonderful God is. And you've seen how amazing he is. You're in awe of him and the grace that he's given you. And when that happens, you want the world to know about it. And because you want the world to know about it, you live in such a way that brings glory to God. And by doing that, you see that other people discover how amazing he is. And that brings you joy. So it's, it's helpful here in verse 2 we see this word hypocrite. Now, this Greek word means an actor 
who wears many masks at a theater. So this is what, this is what you would think of a hypocrite. Would be in, in the Greek culture, it would be an actor who would wear many masks because there wasn't enough actors, so they'd wear a mask so people could then see different roles played by the same person in the theater. So we have our own theater, our theater for our glory. And we put a mask on so that we get the glory, so that people see us. And here's what this is saying. Here's what it's all coming down to. If you aren't doing it for God and his glory, then you're a hypocrite. Because you're wearing a Christian mask saying that I have found the pleasures of knowing God and to be a Christian is to have your main thing be that everyone else discovers how amazing God is. And if you aren't living your life in that way, but you're claiming to be a Christian, you are wearing a mask of Christianity, and then therefore you are now a hypocrite. If you do it for your glory, but claim Christianity, you're a hypocrite. Okay, so, so, so then it says to do it in secret. So, okay, don't do it for your glory. Do it in secret so that God will get glory. Now here's, but we have to say, hang on. Because just a chapter earlier in verses 13 through 16 in chapter 5, it said, let your good works shine before the world. In other words, shine. Let the world see your good works. Okay, so this is confusing. Should we be generous and let the world see our generosity, or should we do it in secret? What's the answer? The answer is, well, I'll make it very simple. If your greatest longing is God's glory, and it gives you joy when God gets glory, and not you but God, then you're going to have the wisdom to know the answer to this question. So here's how it goes. You want God to be glorified. It's the main reason you are living your life. And so if that's the case, you know that when people should see the things that you're doing, so it points to God, or when they shouldn't. So here's what happens. You start having something in your heart. Come on, you know you do it. You start being generous, or you, start, you do something, and you, you want people to know about it. So you drop little hints. Why? Because you want the praise of others. So badly you want that praise. And so you start dropping the hints and see what's going on is something's going on in your heart. You want the glory instead of God getting it. And so God says, stop, do it in secret because something's happening to your heart. And here's what will begin to happen. If you continue to do it this way and do it for your glory, then your heart's going to continue click by click to change in a more evil way so that you want glory, you want your kingdom to come, and you don't want God's glory or God's kingdom. In fact, what starts happening is you start competing with God. I could stand up here, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, it's likely happened that I could want you to see how great God is for my glory. You see how twisted we could become? I'm using the pulpit for my glory, and that belongs nowhere up here. So, if that can happen here, it can happen anywhere. That means that there are places in your life where you don't even realize it, but you are, you are pretending to do things for God's glory, but it is for your glory. The way you know what to do is you want God to be glorified, and then you'll know. Should you show the world, or should you not? Depends on you. Are you being tempted to have glory? 
If you are, do it in secret. All right, at this point, every single one of us need to be aware that we are doing things for our own glory, and that makes us hypocrites. Now, I want to tell you the first step in not being a hypocrite hypocrite anymore is to admit that you're a hypocrite. In fact, here's what you do. If you're a Christian, you have realized something. You are a hypocrite. You are trying to live in such a way that you can't live. In fact, you have this whole new identity, this new identity as a son or daughter of God, yet you're not living like a son or daughter of God, yet you're claiming to be a son or daughter of God, and so you're being hypocritical. But guess what? There is something called grace. And here's what happens with grace. You go before God and you say, God, look, I can't live the way that I know I'm supposed to live. What do I do about this? Well, God says, I'm going to be gracious to you. I've been gracious to you already. My son on the cross, he's died in your place. Everything's good. And you say, ah, okay, everything's good. And guess what? Now you can tell the world. You can tell the world that you are a sinner saved by grace and that you are a hypocrite. And guess what? Now that you've admitted to the whole world you're a hypocrite, you're no longer a hypocrite anymore. You see? Admit you're a hypocrite and you are no longer one. You start to realize that your only strength to live the way that God is calling you to live is Christ. And that, guess what that means? He gets glory. And then as he's getting glory, everybody else is seeing his glory and how amazing he is. And guess what that does to you? It makes you so happy. Because as a Christian, the greatest thing that you want is everyone to see how amazing God is. All right, so let's get real practical. And by the way, so if you're normally in Grove Kids, like, say to your parent right now, just be real. Like, don't be a hypocrite, be real. Just tell them. Go ahead. Okay, you're not listening. I've, I've lost the Grove Kids. It's okay. All right, all right, all right. So, here's the question. When you're being generous, it says do it in secret. But also verses later it said, let the world see. So how do you know? You have to do it for God's glory. But this gets a bit complicated now. Because we're talking about generosity, we're talking about people in need. Now there was a time when the church was really able to be the church and was being the church where the church was the main way the poor were helped. Those in need were helped. And that was when the church was thriving. So this is a bit complicated. Um, and, and so today, we have a tax system where the poor are helped, which means something. We have to use incredible wisdom because in the past, what would happen is the church was the place where the poor were helped the most. And the church could care for the poor and could help the poor and teach the poor how to work if they needed to work or get them what they needed or jobs or whatever. But here, here's the point. Now, it's very clear in the Bible that one of the main things about being a Christian is helping those in need, which means we have to work incredibly hard and be incredibly wise about helping those in need. And that means that there's people here who have needs, and that means the church rises up to meet them in their needs. And it means the church has to be wise about doing this. But let me just speak about generosity in general real quick. I don't know if you've seen it, but you'll go to churches pretty often or buildings and you'll see someone's name on that building. Someone gave a significant portion of money to that church 
for that organization and their name is there on the building. Now, here's the question. Should that happen? It seems to me that what our verses are trying to get us to say is no. Actually, what should be written across that building is somebody donated money anonymously for the glory of God. And, I, and you don't ever see that. Do you know why we don't ever see that? Because we want praise from humanity. We want praise from the people who know us. We want glory. And, and so what, what organizations do is they say, oh, I know people want glory, and so I'm going to offer this spot for someone to give money so that if they give money, they're going to get glory. You're going to get the praise of others. And it works. It seems here to be saying that, that that does not belong in the church. But everything should be done in such a way that God gets the glory. Now, let me say this. If there's a friend that you have in need, maybe you go to their house and you leave anonymously something to help them. Or you go to their house and you knock on the door and you give them something that helps them. How do you know what to do? Should it be done in secret? Or should you do it so that they could see that you're doing it for God? Here's the answer. It depends. Does this person need to know that you love them and are caring for them? Then I would say do it. Like, let them know that this came from you, and that's a very important and good thing to do. But if something's going on in your heart, and you're realizing, man, I'm doing this for me, do it anonymously. All right. Let's ask now the question that you've been wanting to know is, what in the world is this reward that we're getting? It's the big question, and here's my question. Here's the thing that I'm wrestling with all the time. Whenever I see reward in the Bible, here's the thing that I'm wrestling with. What in the world could God give us any more than we have already received in Christ? There's this, there's this line in the Bible that says all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Here, Do you know the gift that we've been given? Do you know the reward that you have by your faith in Christ? That every single good thing that Christ has done has been credited to you? That means when the Father looks at you, he's looking at you and he's seeing you just like his one and only son. His perfect record has been credited to you. You have all the treasure that you could ever want in Christ. So what in the world could God be rewarding you with in heaven that is any greater than Christ or adds anything to what Christ has already done? And I, to be honest with you, I have not found an answer that's satisfactory for me. I'm going to just tell you that. However, I do think that there is a connection in with Christ. So here's how I think it works. If you have this authentic faith, you go to God because you want God, because he's a pleasure to you. And as you go to God, you enjoy him because it's God. And you're spending time with God, and then God is changing you, and he's changing your motives, and now your motives are pure. And as your motives become more and more pure... You are doing more for God's glory, and people are seeing how great God is. And then here's your reward. There's going to come a time when you're in heaven. You're standing there, and you're seeing people who came to faith because of your generosity, that you played a part in this. You're going to be standing in eternity, and you're going to see the role that you played 
in just your good works, in the way you lived your life, and in your generosity. And you're going to see people who came to faith because you were part of their story. And if Christianity is what it says it is, and God is this great God, and the most amazing thing that you can experience is somebody enjoying the pleasures of knowing God because you played a part in that, then that's going to be an amazing reward for you. In fact, Paul talks about this. Paul actually calls the churches where he sees people come to faith through his work. He says, you are my crown and my joy and my glory. And what he is saying is that there's going to come a day in eternity. I think this is what he's saying, where I'm going to see you there. And I'm going to know that all the work that I did paid off and it will be a great reward for him. Because he did it for God's glory and not his own. So here's what you got to do you got to start challenging yourself. When you give for someone, you give to the church, when you're generous or just you're doing good things, that you aren't doing it for you. And it's going to be an incredibly difficult practice because you're going to start seeing your motives behind why you're doing what you're doing. But guess what you got to do? you got to say to God, God, look at me. I'm doing everything for the wrong reasons. And you go to him and you experience pleasure of being with him and then he changes your heart and as he's changing your heart you go and your motives are changed you got to challenge yourself and challenge your kids because this has to start early it gets harder and harder as you get older and the last challenge is for you to take off your mask because we're, we're all wearing this mask there's, this, there's a song um, called the Stained Glass Masquerade where you have this image of people walking into the church wearing and masquerading around in this image that they want everybody to see them as when in reality when they take off the mask they look nothing like the image that they are portraying. That's Christ's point. Take off the mask of doing everything that you're doing for, God's, for, for your glory and do it for God's, but also take off the mask and expose yourself to the world that you are a sinner saved by grace. Take off the mask of having to measure up because you've been forgiven. Everything's good. And when it feels like it's impossible for you to do this because it's going to happen, To be vulnerable before people is incredibly hard. When it feels impossible, here's what you have to remember. On the cross, Christ wore a mask so you could take yours off. What's the mask that he wore? Your sin. So on the cross, Jesus becomes clothed in your sin. And then he's crushed under the weight of the judgment that was coming for you. And now you're fully forgiven, and guess what that now means you can do? You can take off the mask, because you're free. You're forgiven. In fact, every time you remember that, that brings you into the presence of God. And as you come into the presence of God, aware... Because look, you can't come into the presence of God without being forgiven. You'll be crushed under the weight of your sin. So he... He buys your forgiveness, and then in buying your forgiveness, you come into his presence, and now you can finally be changed by him. And as you're changed by him, your motives are changed, and then you begin to do everything that you do 
for his glory and for the joy of knowing that there's going to come a day when you see people ushered into heaven and they came in because of the work that you have done here on the earth. There is no greater purpose to live for than seeing people come to faith because of your generosity and because of your good works that you are doing for the glory of God. That's the meaning of our text. And when you do this, you'll finally be able to be free, to be vulnerable before God and other people. And that's really one of the deepest longings of your soul. And then, to experience the joy of seeing people come to faith because of you doing things for God's glory. All right, let me pray. God, I pray now that we would see your glory, beauty, and worth, and that we would stop masquerading around as people who have no idea of your glory, beauty, and worth. But God, I pray that you would reveal it to us so we could live for your glory, beauty, and worth. God, I pray that you would help us take off the mask and be vulnerable before you. And you would teach us what it means to live an authentic life of faith in you. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.